Oh, good evening. Thanks so much for coming on such a cold, uh, a cold night. Can you all hear me okay in the back this morning? Um, okay, well, I'm here tonight to talk about a project, the One Oak project, and hopefully it becomes clear as we go through the talk. Um, I work for a small tree and forestry charity, the Silver Foundation, and you're completely forgiven for not having heard of this because we only formed as a charity last year in, in uh, late March. Uh, 2009. We're based in South Oxfordshire, near the Whitman Clubs. Uh, we're a sister charity to Northwood Trust, if you've heard of them. Um, we've got quite a strong local activities, as you'll see tonight, but we also have a national ambition and focus in other areas as well. Uh, so, we have just very quickly a number of different projects which I'm not going to talk about tonight. You can see these online. Forestry Horizons is a think tank that we run very grandly called a think tank. There isn't one in forestry otherwise for Britain. And through that, it's a free online library. We conduct uh, research into forestry and trees and publish them free access online for, for anybody there. Tree Watch is a new project we piloted last year. And as you may guess from the name, the idea is it's a citizen science project where we ask the general public to get involved and to help look at trees, uh, look out for pests and diseases. And the, the idea behind it really is the adopt a tree idea. So anyone there can, whether it's a tree in your garden, one you walk past in the park every day, walking the dog, wherever it might be, if you have a favourite tree, you can go to Tree Watch, um, locate it using Google Maps, and then from them on look after it and monitor it for its health. So it's an idea of engaging the general public in trees more. On the professional side, our My Forest project is a project setting out to support woodland owners across Britain. And again, it's using Google Maps. And the idea is that anyone, any woodland owner can map their woodlands and complete an inventory of all the species in it, uh, a map all the compartments. And that also then becomes visible, if they want it to be, to anybody in Britain looking for local wood, whether it's a, a cabinet maker, uh, a, a bean builder, a firewood merchant. We're actually trying to connect the wood chain, hence the strap line linking the wood chain. And that's a free service as well. So three very different projects to tonight project I'm talking about, which is the one-over project. So that's enough about silver. So wood culture. You may have seen on the strap line over there, above our logo on the, on the board, dividing Britain's wood culture. What do we mean by wood culture? I'm totally pleased with this picture. I don't know if you can see it clear at the back. But it's, it's actually a very large cargo ship. And this chap here is standing on a raft of wood. And there's a tropical forest in the background. I was so pleased with it, I thought this is very good for what I want to try and say. Then I realised later, it's got a giant decapitated man with large legs and no body. I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. But no, it's a, it's a timber ship, so don't get distracted by the legs. But you may not know that timber is Britain's sixth biggest import. You imagine everything we import a year, timber is our sixth biggest import. Really quite a lot. That much, in fact. A million tonnes a year of hardwoods. So where are these harbors coming from? And what are they used for? Well, you may say it's no surprise because we don't have many woods in England. I'm sure you all know we're the second least wooded country in Europe. Around 11% uh, for the whole of the GB. In England, it's 9%. So what I've done is a little uh, picture, picture here is to show, imagine England land area being a square of 100, 100 squares. <coughs> That's our 9%. So 9% of England has trees. 
which isn't much. So maybe no surprise if importing million tons of harbors a year may it. But let's delve a bit deeper. Now, actually, those red squares are the squares we know are being managed, out of which uh, we may be extracting timber. We may have taken a deliberate decision to look after them for wildlife or for heritage, whatever the reason may be. But those red ones are the ones we're looking after. We have a plan, a management plan. The wooden owners are engaged for whatever purpose. And I'm not just talking about timber. It's just having a plan. So let's take those out of the equation. And we're down to 4% wooden now. Out of that 4%, half of those are owned by the Forest Commission, hence the little logo there. All that's left then is 2%, two percent of woodlands in Britain. So in other words, two-thirds of our woodlands in Britain we don't know anything about. We don't know who owns them, we don't know what species they contain, so any attempt to try and get more local wood, which let's face it would be good because we'll have low wood miles, low carbon impact. We know that well-managed woodlands are actually best for biodiversity. And I'm not saying that as a forester, uh, the Wildlife Link, which is RSPB, Butterfly Conservation, Bat Conservation, uh, and another, how many do I do, nine or ten organisations, I think it's 13 altogether, say that management of woodlands is really important. And without that management, um, wildlife would decline in our woodlands. So it's not just about timber, it's about actually trying to bring woodlands into condition. So why aren't these woodlands being managed? Well, this is a beautiful woodland, and the sort of woodland that the public would say, yes, we love trees, we should never do anything here, we can't terribly have a tractor or a chainsaw or any management in here, surely. It's been like this forever. But it hasn't. And it's complicated to explain why to the public hasn't, because it just looks natural and beautiful. But the fact that beech may be perhaps a non-native introduced species, or the fact that um, there are lots of very large trees in that lovely picture, someone's been in there, a forest has been in there, and done some management. But all you see when you talk to, or read the media, and listen to the radio and the television, obviously are the beautiful things, the butterflies, the access these days with mountain bike trails, and boardwalks to sterilise uh, the public's engagement with trees so they don't get muddy feet, and lots of heavily waylaid routes through woodlands as well. So the message to the public is about this is beautiful and natural, and there's no mention of wood, it's all about biodiversity, landscape, conservation, and so on. <laughs> now, this isn't a mistake, this is a, a lamb, okay? Just, just to remind me, lamb. Gabriel, <laughs> okay, well, why are you talking about lamb? Well, to me, this is a little bit like lamb, farming. We love cuddly lambs in spring, don't we? You know what's coming, don't you? We also love our Sunday roast, unless you're vegetarian, I apologise. We love both, don't we? Well, is it the same in forestry? We love and we worship beautiful trees like this. A tree. <laughs> From trees we get wood. But if I was to say to you, I'm going to cut this tree down now, you go, wouldn't you? Even however much we love it, to see a beautiful tree being cut down is quite difficult. It looks like our lamb. If you were to go and butcher the lamb or see it being butchered, you know, you don't see these things on TV, do you? So, to get the wood, we need to fell the tree. Simple equation. 
And what do we get from this? Well, it's not to say to people, well, how much wood is in your life? Have you got kitchen cupboards at home that made of wood? Oh, yes, I have. Have you got a wooden shed? Uh, yeah, and I've got a wooden fence in my garden. Well, where do you think that wood came from? Oh, I know, you can, yeah, oh, it's a tree. Yes, but where is that tree growing? Oh, I don't know. Well, would it surprise you to say that if it's a softwood, it probably came from Poland or Latvia? It was normally sent to Italy to be air dry first, because it's, that's where they do the air drying. If it's hardwood, if you're lucky, France, probably America, North America. Wouldn't it be good if we grew some locally? Wouldn't it be good if maybe that tree down the road, when it was ready to be felled and was in a well-managed woodland, wouldn't that be good if that came from just over there? It's not an easy story. And this is why, in my view, the environmental NGOs, they go for the lowest hanging fruit. And it's obviously easy to talk about tree planting. It's a very embracing thing. We need more trees. It's a no-brainer. And it's an easy thing to get your members, the public, the media excited about planting trees. And the government now are talking about a million new street trees over the next four years. Wonderful. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely wonderful. But we don't have this, do we? It's <laughs> <laughs> complicated, isn't it? And there's no environmental NGO out there for this message until, I think, we've arrived. And this is what we're about. And actually, not in these terms, but to try and talk about sustainable forestry. Now, sustainable forestry is a technical term. Sustainable forest management is a defined term in the United Nations. And the word sustainable is rather overused, but it does say what forestry does. It is one of the most sustainable things we can do with our land. And this is just a few. Obviously, it can help protect us from climate change. It produces the air we breathe. It can prevent us, uh, help prevent erosion, help prevent flooding. It can provide heat and energy. And lots of exciting technological breakthroughs now in, in woodchip and bioenergy. It can improve our health and well-being. Lots of evidence to show that it reduces stress and today the healing properties of walking in the woodland. Uh, obviously, a fantastic home for wildlife that provides our own water and timber. Now, they're kind of very simple categories. But sustainable forestry, to explain that to someone when you say, I'm going to fell this tree, it's not an instant thing. It's not an easy thing to say, oh, yes, go and plant a tree. To, to get that notion. So, we thought, well, how can we get this across? So we came up with the idea of just following the life of one single tree in great detail, to, just to get people to think about where that tree's come from and how it was looked after, how and why it's felled, and then what happened to it afterwards. So that's what I'm here to do tonight, is to tell you where we've got to so far in our story. And the oak we call one oak, because it's following the life of one oak tree. So our first thing to do is to find a really good tree that would capture the imagination of people like you in talks, on the website, uh, and exhibitions that we're setting up. So I thought, well, where are not such a place go that grows really good oaks that would give us a bit of a, a good profile to start? Well, it's a no-brainer, really. You had to find a good estate like Blair. So knock, knock, knock. Please, um, please, uh, Duke Morgan, would you be so kind as to donate a tree? Yes, of course. Lovely guy. So at that point, Anna the Forester thought, I suspect we'll get some other dingy thing in a rotten corner. But no, we've got the one you've seen already. It's beautiful, majestic oak, bluebells underneath. This is our chairman. He's not a dwarf. He's six foot like me. So a good size. 
This wasn't, wasn't perfect, wasn't of any equality, it was just a standard British oak. We thought it was about 160 years old from estate records. And in economic terms, that's about 40 years, um, possibly past its best. Oaks normally grow 120, 140 years. So it's mature. And they donated the tree for the product, which is a fantastic start. And it's beautiful, as you can see, uh, pretty straight trunk, and wonderful location with bluebells. And in terms of being slightly provocative, which is partly what we're about with the project, in a nice way, is it is a beautiful tree. So when you see it or hear about it in a minute being felled, it pulls more heartstrings and gets you to think more about the fact that this grew in a beautiful, sustainably managed woodland, rich in wildlife, a home to thousands of different creatures, and we cut it down. Uh, I won't do it now because I think you probably saw when you came in that panorama. Um, did you see that all that moving around? Um, if you go to our website, you can have it your own play, it's great fun. You basically move it left and right and up and down, and it's a panorama of the, the, uh, the woodland. Another important, really important thing for us was to engage young people in the project. And um, you've probably heard of the term nature's deficit disorder. It's a term which describes perhaps young people's difficulty in connecting to the environment these days. If they're not taken out by their families on the weekend, or they don't go out at school so much to the outdoors, they're perhaps disconnected from the natural world. So we deliberately set out with five primary schools. That's all really we have the capacity to work with. And to get them to come and meet our tree. And we're supported fantastically by the, the Forest School Service, which is a county-supported project to get young people into the woodlands. And over a series, this was autumn, uh, I've got to get my dates right now, autumn 2009. So a year ago, wasn't it? Is that right? So these are five schools. We had eight classes, actually. So we had about 250 children coming out into the woodland, spending a day, getting mucky, and doing all sorts of activities, as you'll see, some traditional bark rubbing, activities, getting to know the tree, looking at the canopy, taking a different view on life, doing some science, measuring things, doing wildlife work. I think in this bottom one they'll probably be using a tape measure to try and measure the shadow to see how tall the tree was. And they really got to know the tree. They really got to know it pretty well. Because when they went back to the classroom they carried on doing work. And they felt really connected with it. Lovely photo. As I say, back in the classroom, they had debates in each school, before and against. I don't know if you'd be able to read this. Are you heartless? You should care more for our ever-declining environment. There are other materials that furniture could be made from. Why are we, why are we uh, are using this amazing oak tree? This is the against, by the way. some good falls as well. So the children got really into why are we cutting this tree down and how does it fit into our lives? While this was going on, we also undertook a lot of scientific work. Because we, we thought that if we're going to cut this tree down to tell a story, we need good data. And we've been fantastically supported by Forest Research, which is the government's research agency, part of the Forestry Commission. And here we are undertaking traditional mensurational work. Um, so measuring diameter of breast height, the DBH, which is a, a classic measurement taken in, in forestry. This chapter using a clinometer, which measured, measured the angle to the top of a tree. And the three readings are, uh, so this is a, a very posh kilometer, kilometer. It's calculating the average from three different um, height measurements. 
Um, traditionally, you do some clever maths like this, a bit of Pythagoras. So you've got your height, look at the perfect height equation. So you measure your height, the, a triangle to the base of the tree, and a triangle to the top of the tree, add A and B together. And uh, by Pythagoras, you can calculate the height of the tree. We also did some other work looking at uh, this is a camera fitted with a hemispherical lens, it's like a fisheye. And it creates this sort of wonderful image. Now, it's, it's artistic, but it's also scientific. So they use this image in the computer. So if I go up and down a few times, can you see how it's the same thing? We've got the tree coming from the right there, yes? And this calculates how much leaf area. So we can calculate the biomass of the tree. But it is a lovely image too, isn't it? Um, and we also did some, um, as opposed to the menstruation work, traditional menstruation, got a laser scanner. They use these in uh, road traffic accidents these days to very quickly uh, pinpoint all the bits of debris in a, in a road uh, after a crash. And this piece of kit costs about £60,000. But what they do is they put it about five times around a tree and it spins out a load of data, I think 50 million data points per sample point or something extraordinary like that. And you piece it all together and you get an image like this coming together. So it's not a photograph, this is a millions of data points. So it's a scan of the woodland, millimetre accurate, every branch and twig on our tree and the trees around it. It's an extraordinary thing. Never been used in a forest before. And zooming in, you get that sort of um, image of the trunk and the branches. And this is looking down. Now this is, this is going to get you to think now. How can you look down on a tree? Well, because it's got lots of different points coming together, you've got a, a data point. So you can move your camera around anywhere you want around this tree, and that's looking down on the canopy. And this is the view from afar, with all the other trees removed. And if you were to zoom in, all you see is millions of pixels. These are squares. It's amazing to zoom in and you see that. And zoom out and see that. Just beautiful image, Joe. It's almost like a painting. And I'll just show you one thing. Let me be clever here. So again, all these videos are on our website. But just to get the idea of the sort of data we have, because it's a 3D um, set of data, this shows it quite nicely. So hopefully that gives you an idea of the 3D, because you can't get that from a picture very easily. So the laser gave us lots of data um, to add to the traditional menstruation data. So it's very important so we can actually talk with authority about um, how big this tree was, how much wood was in there, and then in a minute it obviously takes us through to talking about carbon as well. Now a little bit about the dendrochronology. We have a fantastic dendrochronologist, I said that briefly, didn't I? Uh, Daniel Miles, who's based down in, uh, near Reading, who volunteered his time for the project. And from the base of the tree, um, after it was dried, he took some samples. I don't know if you know much about dendrochronology, but it's like reading a barcode. So what they do is they have a set standard of growth, because every tree grows more or less each year. So a dendrochronologist has a, almost like a, a standard barcode, and you can get any piece of wood from any beam in any building, like Windsor Castle or a living tree, and match up the barcodes, and they know exactly what year um, the wood came from. Obviously, when the tree is felled, because he knew it's felled in January this year, they can work back much easier. And we were very surprised, because not being 160 years, it was actually 222 years old. We were a full 60 years out in our estimate. And the dendrochronologists thought it actually germinated and wasn't planted. 
And where the tree was is Bladen. I don't know if you know Bladen Heath. Um, Bladen Heath, so it was a heath. And looking at the maps, it's quite likely that this tree was one of the first trees to grow there naturally, so the conversion of heath to woodland, sometime around 1788 or, 1788 or 1789. Interesting, though, that's the same year as the Times was first published in, in London. It gives you an idea of the, the timing here. 1805, Battle of Trafalgar. It was five metres tall, so it was about as high as the ceiling when um, we were fighting in, in, the, um, in the sea. And there's lots of fascinating data, which I can't have enough time to explain here. But um, we, we know one major branch had some calamitous occasion to stop growing for about 20 years. Could have been a lightning strike, we don't know. But up here in the inside, you see it's got a traditional uh, growth curve. Uh, being slightly mad, we said, well, wouldn't it be good if we could weigh this tree? <laughs> do things have been done before to weigh a tree. How would we do that? We said, well, okay, well, the big lumps we can take to a weigh bridge. We'll just take them off to one of these large road for weight bridges. How can we weigh the rest of it? Well, luckily, again, because of the fantastic support of Forest Research, we basically weighed every single twig, branch, limb, you name it. It took two days, uh, supported by some of the wonderful staff at Blenheim Palace here, working together with the scientists. I think they had a well of time, sort of. It was cold and wet. But we know how heavy the tree was. So the first time ever in science, we know the exact weight of a mature oak tree that's 222 years old. It's 14.3 tonnes. That's above ground, obviously. We didn't dig up the roots. That's but, wet. I beg pardon? That's wet. Yes. Um, and then it was dried. And from the dry weight, you can then calculate carbon. So we know the above ground carbon is 3.93 tonnes. And we'll be using that information now to build up a carbon footprint of all the things we make from the tree. A very important piece of data. Now, the title of the talk is Marrying Science and Art, so I have to show you a bit of art, obviously. The wonderful uh, local artist Rebecca Hines, a watercolour artist, started painting the tree uh, in, in the autumn of 2009. She spent a very cold night out making a sketch of um, the, the full moon rising behind the tree and produces wonderful finished watercolour for us. Also working with, uh, oh sorry, um, Rebecca's also been to schools as a resident artist in residence to um, help the children do watercolours up there. And you can see some of the other ones she's done as well. Again, it's all on the website, please look at. Also work with Sarah Simblett, who's a botanical artist, also based in Oxford, who uh, undertook this beautiful sketch, uh, sort of pen and ink drawing of the, the tree. Uh, she's the author behind uh, Botany for the Artist, which is a fantastic book. And this is the beautiful tree that we now use in a lot of our publications because it captures the spirit of the tree so wonderfully. Now, this isn't quite full of the art, but it does make sense. This is the view from the top looking down. And when you're up in a tree, you notice something that you don't see when you're at the bottom looking up. And that's moss. Moss is always on the top, on top of the branches. And look how wonderfully clad those, the, the tops of the limbs are. So I set a camera up and a, a little, persuaded the guy to get us a sample. And he found this moss, which uh, Jacqueline Wilson from um, Shot of the Wildlife identified as Platygyan lupins, which is a, quite an unusual moss. And Sarah then drew this Triffid-like uh, explosion of the, the same sample. She said she had to nurture it to life with little drops of water every day just to keep it fluffy. <laughs> um, it doesn't, hasn't been reduced wonderfully here, but it's a wonderful thing to see in the flesh. 
We also had a photographer come down in, in the snow. You remember, it was pretty cold last December, January, and took some wonderful images. This is the sun setting, and the snow on top of the limbs. And I began to do some weird here, okay. um, The photographer put this, he took uh, pictures. Uh, he was there about six hours. He started it in the afternoon, and then took photographs every uh, few minutes. So all these colours are natural, with a bit of flashlight. Beautiful. And again, you can see that online. You see, see that again. I think it's make a lovely Christmas card. It hasn't quite organised yet, but it's a lovely image. If you're wondering how he did it, he ran around with a torch <laughs> on, a, on a slow um, exposure. <coughs> so, the felony. January this year, January the 20th. It was just at the end of that freezing cold weather we had. And you imagine 250 children coming, another 200 guests, all the future users of the tree who got lined up, the media, all the scientists, the artists, all the people helping us light fires to keep children warm, all that sort of thing. And it was the day before, terrible. Woke up in the morning really early, it's still snowing, and the phone didn't stop. Are you sure you're going to do it? Yeah, yeah, just, just come, it'll work. But it was really atmospheric. So there we were on this freezing day at Glenin. Uh, children came early to set up galleries in the woodlands to show people what they'd been working on. Um, it was really eye-opening actually to see how they were how they prepared. I mean, some came with uh, wellies and no socks. Some had trainers and no socks. Some had t-shirts and nothing, not, not much else. Despite us writing and saying, "Please make sure your children are well dressed." It was really cold. We had seven near hypothetical children. Luckily, we had a fantastic guy helping us, an ex-scout, who had all the, the beds and fires and tents made up for revitalising cold children. <laughs> and then there's one of his masterpieces. We had hot chocolate for 450 guests in the middle of the world in January. It's no mean thing, I tell you. With recycled paper cups. And the children had a chance to say goodbye to the tree. This is on post, it's a genuine photo. They were really quite touched. They knew they were coming to see his tree come down. They were really excited, but quite emotional about it as well, and giving the tree a good hug. And then as we were starting to gather around the tree, we had to make an exclusion zone. So we measured, we knew the tree was 23.9 metres tall, so we doubled the height to 48 metres and made it stand behind a fence, so we got over the health and safety issue. Uh, we've got the media here, uh, sound recorders, filmmakers, radio, TV. And uh, then we started things. We got a, a tree surgeon to go up and fell one big branch just to get everything going that morning. Normally, if you fell a big tree, you probably wouldn't do that. It's a nice dramatic thing to do. The guy on the right is Tudor Stone, who's a uh, self-employed contractor as a tree surgeon. And this is Nick Bainbridge, who is one of the foresters at Blenheim and the chap who felled the tree. He called the cucumber, all these people watching, he really was. But by chance, both of them had a son in the right age group in a local school that was involved, just, just pure chance, it was lovely. We got sort of father and son involved, twice over. That's me dressed as Michelin man in the middle, it had so much clothes on, I really couldn't move. Uh, Duke of Marlborough and our chairman, Sir Martin Wood, in a bit of a speech. And you can see the sleep, can you? It's, not, it's not a blur photograph, it's sleep. Coming down, I don't even see. Um, and then the children started watching. 
And they were chanting, cut it down, cut it down. <laughs> and a big cheer, and then it came down in a mighty wallop. It really was a death. And I haven't really got time to show the whole film tonight, but um, do have a look online. Because one second it's in the beautiful, majestic trees you see in the big crown. And unlike a conifer tree which comes down, which just bounces gently, and it's dead, but it's bounced gently, and it's just there. This crumbles, and it's a huge crown, comes over, and at that very last second it's there's a massive implosion. And there's no doubt that that tree at that point was then dead. It's very dramatic. And children were crying, others were cheering. But I've had letters, still getting letters from parents saying, my child's been deeply affected by this project. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> well, I'm doing lots about it, so I've got a good answer to that. But here's our first product on the day, a ton of firewood. So a great start. That's the local uh, trees and gardens they call a local uh, firewood merchant. And this is just some of the Motley crew, a bit after you see the base and then the tree. Remember I mentioned earlier, it's quite old, it's over-mature. We discovered, you can see here, and the rip here, this is rot, just coming into the base. Now this tree could have lived for another 100 years. It was never going to be a thousand-year-old oak like Summit Glen, because it's a forest-grown oak. It's grown tall, it been drawn up towards the light. It didn't have many heavy branches, it was a forest-grown tree. It wouldn't have survived that long. Not like those wonderful wood pasture trees which are short and squat because they've always had lots of light around them. So it's interesting that there was starting to come in and when the guy felled it, it came quite early. You can see he's, he's very experienced, he knows what he's doing, but there's an almighty crack. Just hear it. And it went a little bit early, which is why it was just breaking around the lot. There's a lovely mixed crew. That's the, the biologist, the moss expert, dendrochronologist, uh, local uh, forester, County councillor, scientist, uh, the forest from Blenheim, a tree nursery guy, that's me in my Michigan man suit. Um, some other cabinet makers, the fella, the, the tree surgeon, and a whole range of other partners. Uh, as I say, we have 450 yet, but yeah, they're just the ones that hung on into the afternoon. So, uh, one more of my wizardry things. How are we doing for time? Are you, are you sticking with me? <laughs> um, now this goes on for four minutes, I think I'll just show a bit of it. We set up a calendar in the morning to do a, a time lapse. It's just worth seeing a bit of it. So, we felled the tree. That means we've got some beautiful local grown oak. So there's sustainable managed woodland. FSC certified, you know about FSC? It's in the tick mark on wood in B&Q and whatever. This is more than FSC, this is local, this is better than FSC, this is from English, this is down the road, this is only 10 miles um, of movement from the tree to the sawmill. A local sawmill deep in wood near Bessersley, this is the proprietor James Binning, picking, a piece, picking the pieces up uh, a couple of weeks after in the sunshine, I might add, <laughs> and then it's taken to his sawmill. We invited local furniture students from Whitehook Wood, which is the Oxford Valley, Chell Valley College. We have a furniture school there. They came to watch the sawing because they're now involved in quite a, quite a lot of the product. And this is the first length. So out of that main trunk, three lengths. And this is the, the best boards are normally at the bottom. So these are cut either inch and a half or two inch boards up to here. These are what are called through and through. And then these are quarter sawn. So imagine 
what's left of this tree has been a semicircle, but then turn on its side and cut the other way. And that's what gives the beautiful figure. So you get the medullary rays in oak, with beautiful markings. So they're there for the top quality fine furniture makers, and we've got quite a few involved in the project. So that's the tree. As I said, that's the first length near the base. And then this was the finished item at sawmill. So one, two, three lengths, the same as that tree above. So thin boards here, some quite big chunky stuff, two or three inch cut here, and a shorter third length, nice and chunky again. So lots of varying dimensions to different users. And we haven't made much yet, because you have to wait for oak to dry, for, for wood to dry, unless you're a green woodworker. And this is one of the things we have been able to make. You've seen the firewood, we've got some green woodwork involved, so wood turners and so on. And this is chap, um, Martin Damon, who makes beautiful bowls and spoons out of green wood. And he took a, a curved branch and then um, carved by hand a bowl you can see he cleaved it first and then started carving to produce this finished item. And that's it, actually that's on this stump. Yeah, photograph taken with some spoons he made. And he's been exhibiting with us. So if you come to any of our future exhibitions, you can see him at work. He's a wonderful green woodworker. And we also had a bit of fun last year, because we were out art in action at Waterperry. We had a competition to guess the weight of the tree. We knew the weight by then. We hadn't released the data. So we said, well, if you can guess the weight of the tree, um, we'll give you this beautiful hand-carved bowl. And we had a lot of entrants, including some top-quality mensurational scientists from Finland. <laughs> but he was beaten by um, these two, an amateur from Buckinghamshire and a, uh, one of the chaps from the local schools who came in third place. So this top-quality Finnish scientist came second. And that's uh, Nick Woods, the editor of Living Woods, which is a nice magazine, sort of green work working magazine and Martin Damon, the maker, are on the site. That was a couple of months ago, a nice bit of fun, but it drew off attention. So into the wood side of things, we're now going into the schools and helping them understand that they saw the tree, they saw it coming down, they had lots of emotions about that, and now they're starting to see what's going to be made from the tree. So we've got, as I said, these students from Oxford and Churl Valley College work going into all our five schools, and with them designing some outdoor benches for their, their, their school grounds. And over the next few weeks, these are going to be made up into various designs. The children will vote on the one they like best, and then the students will make them, and they'll be put up in their school ground, so they'll never forget that connection. And this was uh, Wood Farm, Peddington. Uh, I visited a couple of weeks ago, and the students were there. So we've got Phil Coonan, a fantastic fine furniture maker. Carthroke and Woodland are taking a, a beam to build a house. Hopefully it's going to be filmed for one of the grand designs uh, programs for Channel 4, which would be great. But that would be a traditional beam. So obviously we can't get a whole massive beam. It's going to be a, a short, brace beam. Um, it, some will go to a local a renewable energy firm. A pathway workshop. Um, we're going to be using it to help disadvantage adults get involved in making useful items in wood. Trees and gardens are firewood merchants, a traditional woodworker. Carving, uh, a boat, uh, green wood, sandy bowl, heard of that? Beautiful carved bowls with strings strung across, a meditative uh, instrument, beautiful thing. And, let me blow. Oh, yes. He's going to have the sawdust, so we're going to have some one oak smoked food on the manoir's menu <laughs> in the spring. So, every single bit of this tree is going to be used, and there's more beside, we just couldn't fit more of it. 
And the idea is we're going to bring all this together in an exhibition over the next couple of years. Uh, and they're all featured on our website and so on. Um, so before I get into that, just briefly about the new generation, because this is about sustainability. So we also declare acorns before the tree was felled. I don't know if you know about oak, but it produces acorns about every seven years, but kind of mast year. So typically, I our tree, before we cut it down, had no acorns. Not a single one. Actually, it did have a couple. But it had the knock gall, those sort of alien galls that sometimes come out the side. So it had no viable seed. But we went across a whole blend of estate, and it was actually a very bad year last year for collecting acorns. But we managed to mass some with the children's help. And then they sowed the seed. And Nicholson Nurseries have grown uh, 50 seed, uh, uh, 60 seedlings for us. And uh, also then have some of their own stock as well, locally sourced. And what we're going to be doing is going back to the site in January, uh, almost a year after the tree was felled, and every child that saw the tree being felled will plant another oak tree. And they'll see that beautiful space now with a big hole in it where that tree was, and they'll be there to plant a tree. And we're going to have a choir there singing tree planting shanties, <laughs> as you do. And, um, and the children are going to learn this over the next couple of weeks at school. So when they're, they're digging, they can sing their shanty. And uh, a beautiful uh, sculpture, uh, a sculpture has been made uh, out of a branch, where the, the curved branch has been opened like a book, and down one side are all the figures and statistics, and down the other side are some more artistic uh, comments and, and pictures and so on. And that's going to be erected on the site and be allowed just to weather slowly. So it'll be quite a unique little spot. Uh, and that's what it looks like. Um, that's in the spring when the bluebells are up. That's a wonderful wildlife habits, of course. We have felt the tree, but we've left lots of uh, value for wildlife, even so. So what are we doing about this? Well, we're doing talks like this. We're going to various exhibitions, to uh, places to uh, exhibitions. Um, hopefully we're coming here over the summer for some time. We've got to get work out with Tim, but to have an exhibition uh, in the education room here with some of the things we've made and uh, our pictures and so on. Uh, with Art in Action, again, we're going to be uh, there again this year. And next year, the idea is we're going to take over their wood tent. So, I don't know if you've been there, they've got a wonderful woodworking tent, but it is going to be the one oak woodworking tent in 2012. We're going to bring together all the things we've made the boat, the doors, the whatever it might be with the artists, with the musicians, um, and the scientists. And it's going to be a, a big exhibition there. And uh, also, we're going to be in September, we just heard, I'm very pleased to say, at the Natural History Museum for a month. And also in 2012, have a static exhibition at Blenheim Palace, probably at the Pleasure Gardens. So beyond this, you can see there's lots of wonderful material here. What we'd like to do is maybe find the time to write a book or something, because it's some great material. Um, so we have a website, as I probably said, and if you are interested in finding out more, want to find materials, but you, you might work with young people yourself, you can download materials for free. And there's even some music I might mention here. Um, we had some uh, donated to us by the One Oak Trio. It was supposed to be a joke, One Oak Trio. Uh, it's a lovely piece of classical music. If, if I had sound here, I would have played it when you walked in. That's, um, that's free to download as well. But there's lots of information up there, it's very up to date. Um, that's me. Thanks so much. Thank you.